0: Today we're going to talk about uh, wrestling with God. And Jacob, there's a story where Jacob wrestles with God. And the origins of wrestling go back as far as recorded history. And in almost every culture around the world, there's some form of wrestling. And although the techniques and the rules may change, it's a close hand-to-hand sport. There's no tools. It's a person and a person your objects to pin your opponent into submission. Now, I've never wrestled competitively, but as a backyard sport, I've certainly experienced it. I know what it feels like to be physically overpowered as I wrestled with my my friends, my peers. There's a unique mix of physical exhaustion and helplessness you experience before you submit to your opponent. There's almost like an exhale, like this is over. Hadley, my two-year-old, Likes to wrestle with her sister, who's one, London. But she calls it cuddling. But it it looks like wrestling, so somehow that gets lost. And I don't think London really really gets that either. Um, Normally it starts with giggling, and then it turns to tears. London gets that feeling of being trapped, of being outmatched. And then finally it's followed by this relief when her mom rescues her from the ruthless cuddles of her older sister. And most of us are probably familiar with this feeling. Whether it's uh, wrestling with your, your siblings, your neighbors, your friends. There, there was a, a, a point in your life where you probably felt that physical sense of being exhausted and helpless. Wrestling is a, is a strange, it's, it's a barbaric sport in a lot of ways. But there's also something very familiar. There's something instinctual about it. About a close hand-to-hand struggle. And in Genesis 32 we find a perplexing story where Jacob wrestles with what seems to be a stranger. But before we get there, I think it's important we understand who Jacob was. Jacob was more than this isolated incident, this single story. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And God made a promise with Abraham to give him many descendants. And through those descendants, to bless all nations. So that's who Jacob was. He was in the line of Abraham. And Jacob's story starts out when he's in the womb. He's wrestling with his brother. He's a feisty guy. And as he's born, he's grasping at his brother's heel. He gets the name, a heel grasper or deceiver. And his name, supplanter, also means someone who wrongfully takes the place of another. Another. Now, this wasn't just his name from birth, because he was grasping at his brother's heel, but it followed him throughout his life. It became a theme. It was a foreshadowing for many of the stories throughout his life. And he truly lives out his name. This this struggle with his brother starts again in Genesis 25, and Esau comes home after a long, hard hunting trip. His brother, his twin brother Esau, he's famished, but Jacob happens to be cooking some delicious stew. So Esau asked his brother, please, please give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, I'll only give you that stew if you give me your birthright. Esau's like, bro, I'm starving to death. But Jacob doesn't relent, relent until Esau promises to give him that birthright. In Genesis 25, 32 through 33, it says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob dishes him some lentil soup and some bread, and Esau gives away his birthright. That I hope that was some really good soup. I really do. Cause culturally the birthright was something very powerful. It was a place of honor, it was a blessing. So first Jacob's grasping at his brother's heel. Now he takes his birthright. But that wasn't enough. In Genesis 27, Jacob's mother gets involved and, and she helps to work with him. And they begin to conspire. Uh, Jacob's father Isaac calls Esau, his favorite son, and, and says, go, go out and get me some, some choice meat. Get me something delicious. Cook for me before I give you my blessing, Esau. So his mother gets wind of this and she gets with Jacob. And she says, Let, "Let's t- trick your brother, or trick your father, out of giving your birth right away." Now, Esau he was a burly guy. He was he was a hunter, so he's kind of hairy. I'm sure, he was, had a musk of sorts. So his mom puts some goatskin on his hand in the back of his neck, so that if Isaac reaches for him, he'll feel that it was Esau and not Jacob. They put on his clothes, and in Genesis twenty seven through twenty seven through twenty nine. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son. It is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed so they've tricked Isaac out of the birthright he grabs his fuzzy little hobbit hand he's like oh this is my son Esau and he gives him this good thing that Esau had coming to him and then moments later Esau walks in and he says father I've returned he and his father are confused until they realize that Jacob has tricked his brother again Esau is bitter, and he cries out. He asks his father, don't you have any blessing left for me? And his father essentially answers, you know, I I gave your brother everything. Your life won't be easy. It will be violent. You're going to serve your brother until one day when you no longer accept his rule. Blessings are sharp contrast to what Jacob had taken from his brother. But once again, Jacob was not content with what he had. And he took from his brother. As you can imagine, Esau was furious about this and he vows to kill his brother. Jacob hears about this and he's afraid for his life. So his mom tells him to go flee to the land of his uncle. So he starts to leave. And on his way, God appears to him and God reminds him of his promise of the promise that he gave to his grandfather that he was going to bless him with many descendants and bless the nations through him. So Jacob continues on his way and he arrives to the land of his uncle and he falls in love. His uncle tricks him. He's finally humbled because his uncle tricks him out of many years of his life until he finally marries the woman that he had his eyes on. As the years passed, Jacob comes up with a scheme and he finds a way to trick his uncle out of many of his livestock. So Jacob begins to build wealth because of this scheme that he created. And someone's mad at him again. His uncle's sons begin to get jealous because Jacob is taking what they feel is theirs. They're taking, he's taking from their uncle what they should rightfully have. And about this time, this is where God appears to Jacob again. In Genesis 31.3, that's when God said to Jacob, go back home where you were born and I will go with you. So by this time that God has called Jacob back home, he's truly earned his name as the deceiver. He's tricked his brother, his father, his uncle, his cousins. He's conspired with his mother. Despite that, God... Returned to him and reminded him of that promise. And he's afraid. So he narrowly uh, escapes a conflict with his uncle as he sneaks out away from his uncle's land. And as he gets through that, he remembers that his brother's back home. And he begins to worry that that part of his past is going to catch up with him. His brother had vowed to kill him. So again, he begins to scheme. Thinks of ways of, of how to save his life. He sends his family ahead of him. He splits up his possessions and his family into two camps so that if his brother in his anger takes anything, he'll still have some left. And in Genesis 32, 6, he sends a messenger of peace. And in verse 6, it says, when the messenger returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. A lot of people doesn't really sound like a welcoming party, considering all the circumstances. Jacob is once again terrified. He goes to God in a prayer, and he he said, "Hey God, please don't forget me. Please don't forget me. Remember that promise that you gave to my grandfather. Remember that promise of your blessing." So they come to a river bank, and he sends everything ahead of him, all of his possessions. And now he's left alone. Jacob's a vulnerable man without anything. He doesn't know what his future holds. And we find this alone man on that riverbank. And that's where we see the wrestling match ensue. In Genesis 32, 24 through 32, it says, So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. So I didn't live in biblical times, but I can imagine somebody coming out of the blue and wanting to wrestle with you would still be a pretty strange experience. But Jacob realizes that he had wrestled with God. And he comes out of that a changed man. After that, he's able to meet with his brother. Despite all his fears, it's completely opposite of what he expected. God delivered the blessing and Esau embraced him and, and he, was, he was excited. He was happy to see his brother. But Jacob from this point forward, was a changed man, and there were two things that came out of this. Two things that Jacob received through his interaction with God. He received a blessing, but it wasn't free of injury, and he received a name change. Now we can learn from what Jacob did when things were rough, and he was in the middle of that wrestling match. Instead of letting go, he continued to hold on. He pleaded for a blessing. Now, wrestling with God can take many forms. You know, metaphorically today, it can mean a lot of things. But when we believe our plan is better than God's promise, then the wrestling ensues. Jacob wrestled with God all night and only recognized that after the fact. And through his struggle, he was broken. He was brought to a point of humility. His hip was popped out of place. And he reached that point of exhale, of give in. After being injured, Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is a familiar request from Jacob, asking for a blessing. But he hadn't won this match. And once again, he's asking for something that he may not have earned. However, I think we find him in a completely different state, in a different state of mind. I don't think this was an angry demand of a confident man, rather, a plea from a broken and injured individual. He was worn down. He was mortified. It was a posture of submission. He was holding on despite his pain for something good. And God saw a man that was ready for his plan. He no longer had a scheme to do things on his own. This wrestling match was where his life truly changed. He wasn't relying on his own broken trickster ways. He was now at the source, asking for a blessing. He was asking for a blessing from God in his brokenness. And God looked favorably on him through his tenacity. Jacob came out of this interaction realizing what he had happened and how God had changed him. This, This is a powerful illustration of how God embraces us when we welcome his plan into our lives. Have you ever felt... Like you were being called to a decision that seemed right, but you just didn't want to do it. Maybe you or someone you know is in the midst of a struggle to believe in God's goodness, to believe in God's love, his power. Maybe moments like these are God wrestling with us. There's another story Mark 9 that I think shows a person in a struggle with God and his belief Disciples encounter a boy, and this boy has been tortured by spirits, by demons. It causes him to have terrible seizures. Throws him to the ground. It's completely destroying his life. And the boy's father is desperate. He's seeking help. And and the disciples aren't able to help him. So Jesus is brought into the situation, and he's about to heal the boy. And in Mark 9, 23-24, it says... Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus heals the boy. I love this father because he's so relatable. His honesty is so raw. He recognized that there still remains unbelief in him. But in that moment, he gives all he has to Jesus. Despite being desperate, feeling weak, he's holding on and he's asking for a blessing. We see that it's okay to doubt. But it's what we do with that doubt that's important. And we're we're shown that God is willing to meet us no matter where we're at. We need a willingness to struggle through. And sometimes that struggle can be very real. And and Jacob's match was not free from pain. He was left with a dislocated hip and a a permanent limp for the rest of his life. But he was able to hold on through the pain. And God blessed him. What we endure becomes a testament to our encounter with God. Scars are a reminder of our story and our journey. And they can become... A story that that shows the world that our lives have been changed. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. You feel like you can't escape your past. Or maybe you're encouraging someone who's going through that same thing. No matter how hard we try sometimes, there's there's points in our lives where we, we just feel like despite our best efforts, we can't do better. And here's the thing about humans. We're not just isolated incidents. We're not just those struggles. But we come with stories too. Some of our stories are messy, some of our stories are boring, some of our stories are exciting, but none of them are perfect. In, in our day and age, our names are still important, but maybe a different way to think about that is, is our reputation or our perception, the perception that others have of us or the perceptions that we hold of ourselves. Those things can be very powerful in determining our future. Whether it's a pattern of destructive behavior, it's our circumstances, or a series of unfortunate choices, when we rely on our own plans, they can begin to work against us. Sometimes it's even things out of our control, prejudice. Can you think of an example where maybe you've been on on a path where it didn't feel like things were going to change for you? In third grade, I created a reputation for myself. It wasn't a good reputation, unfortunately. I uh, had a tendency to like to talk during class. I was just social. Um, but I became known as a disruptor. And no matter how hard I tried and, and thinking back then, I, I know there was times where I did want to do better. It just felt like I couldn't get out of that rut. My desk kept getting further and further away from the other students until I was alone. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy there was, a, there was a point where I realized that uh, I truly believed I was a problem. My teacher thought it. My classmates did too. There was one class, though, that I really loved. And I tried to be on my best behavior. And that was my music class. Um, in, in first grade our music teacher who, who went through all, all of our elementary days, uh, Ms. Kennard told me I had a nice voice and I remember I, I looked up to her from that day forward. So I always wanted to be on my best behavior in music class. Now one day she was, she was out and we had a substitute teacher. Now, despite the many temptations that come with a substitute teacher, I was able to defy the odds. I sat quietly. I kept my hands to myself and I followed every instruction. However, Several of my troubled associates had other plans. Our class received a very poor report from the substitute teacher that day. So our teacher was determined to get to the bottom of it, and she interviewed all the students to see who had caused the issues. Unfortunately, my reputation had created a situation for me, despite my efforts to be good my name came up time and time again. And I remember that feeling of helplessness, helplessness, that feeling of injustice, of having to give away my recesses even though I had done the right thing and sitting there saying that I would not disrupt a class next time we had a substitute teacher. Worst of all, I think letting down one of my role models, that that really hurt. You know, that's a light example of, of how our perceptions can determine what happens to us. And it's easy to fall into that trap of repeating our past. Addiction, negative thoughts, poor choices, those things are all hard to escape. And our society, despite its many imperfections, can be very judgmental. Maybe you've heard of this idea of cancel culture, where people are removed from positions or opportunities because of things they've done in their past. Now there is absolutely times where that is necessary and those things need to happen, but it also leaves very little chance for change for people to grow and for grace. But we see a God who was full of grace. In the story of Jacob's wrestling match, the significance of God changing his name can be glossed over. And I, I don't know how many times I've heard or read that story throughout my life, but I've, I've always missed that, the importance and the significance of the name change. On the surface, it could appear that, that the point was only that there was a blessing, but I think there's something really deep there. Especially when we consider Jacob's history, we see an incredible gesture of compassion and grace and forgiveness from God. Jacob certainly earned the name that he had of the deceiver. And time and time again, he proved it to be right. Yet God finds mercy and changes his name. He erases Jacob's spotty past. And not only that, he gives him the name of God's nation. Because of his good promise, Israel wrestles with God. And when we struggle with God, he wants to change us. He will change us. And we don't have to make up for our past before we call out to him. We have a God that's willing to wrestle with us, to get on our level. He wants to find us wherever we're at when we're calling out. And when we're ready to ask for that blessing, he will meet us there. I know in my own experience, even in my darkest moments, he's been pursuing me. So let's stop to think about that for a second. Even in our our worst decisions, he's pursuing us. And we're no different than Jacob. We have proof of this. God met a broken world where it was at. A world that rejected him rejected his plan and his promise and he sent his son to change our nights. And we can accept God's new plan for our lives and enter into a relationship with him and these changes begin to occur and the blessings come as well. We're no longer defined by our history or our choices, our story. And we can encourage people today For that. We have a new name. And our name is Child of God. Our name has been changed. So I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're wrestling. Things aren't making sense. Maybe God's engaging with you. I want to encourage you to pursue him regardless of your recent past, of your life story. He wants to meet you there. And God's calling us home. He's calling you home. And I want to encourage you, other, everyone else that if, if you're in a relationship with Jesus today, we have an opportunity to share that message with others that are wrestling with their past. That we serve a God who is full of grace. We've been changed by God. And we are now children of God. You are loved and you have a blessing. I want to close out today with a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are so full of grace. That you are willing to meet us no matter where we're at. That you want to change our names. That, that you now call us your children, Lord. Thank you for that message. I pray that we, we can all be encouraged, Lord. And that, that we can live that out this week. Please bless this day and be with us as we go out. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed Sunday. Thank you.